You like the Just Baseball show and want to make your own? Let me tell you about Anchor. It's free. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Now you can even add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes. The possibilities are endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never seen before. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and much more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Baseball show Monday, September 27th. Jack McMullen, Aram Layton. We got to start over. I got a fire alarm going off here. We, can we pause like five minutes? Yeah. Is it like Fenway Park right now? Uh, that was weird. I don't know. What'd you think of that? The fire alarm delay. I, I, I don't know. Like what, what causes that? Is that like a, a six-year-old pulling it or is that a technical malfunction? It happened at Parkview Field this year, the home of the Tin Caps. It was... I think it was like a popcorn machine gone awry. Yeah, I mean, that, remember, that's that's awesome. Right? Like residence halls, we always oh. have to evacuate for popcorn that people just burned by 30 seconds. Or if people forgot to put water in the Easy Mac, that's mm-hmm. auto, auto catch on fire. <laughs> I, I caught my roommate a, a couple times like... I started to smell it and I just got in in time, but the, the, the dorm room smoke detectors are also really, really uh, sensitive. Yeah. Really how, sensitive. How often I, did you test it? <laughs> I, I didn't test it. I didn't test it, but I was in that, I was in Haven hall uh, my sophomore year and that was notorious for uh, the smoke detectors. I think kids like ripping their jewels would set it off and, you know, in college, every single kid, which I, the concept of jewels, by the way, blows my mind. Let me buy this hunk of plastic that will make me feel good for a fleeting five seconds, but I will become addicted to it. And then in order to fulfill that addiction, I'll have to spend $30 a week minimum because I just wanted to buy this stick that I'd become addicted to. Yeah. I take it. You're not a cigarette guy. That's another one, man. You know what they do? How could you be a cigarette guy at this point? You know what they do. And you know that you don't know what's in them. So like, why it's to to me, it's the equivalent of of like, like sock. Was it Socrates that went blind because he looked at the sun too much? I think so. Yeah. Like we know what, what he didn't know. Now we know like what happens when you stare at the sun. That's why no one stares at the fucking sun. Well, we know what happens when you look at, at a solar eclipse without your eclipse viewing glasses. Right. Cause 45 told us about that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, (laughs) that didn't that help. Yeah, I think so. Hey, we got a loaded show for you. Um, We both kind of have to wallow in different miseries from the NFL Sunday, but this, here's the downside of only talking to you once a week. 
it feels expired. We're going to do it off the top of the show because every second that goes by, it becomes more and more expired. But let's talk Alejandro Kirk and Kevin Kiermeyer here because I know that we disagree to a certain extent on this. I'm sure you saw it. If you didn't, Alejandro Kirk was receiving a throw to the plate. Kevin Kiermeyer was sliding in. Kirk lost his card, his index card, that has plan of attack against certain Rays hitters on it. It fell right by home plate. Kiermeyer slid in, and as soon as he saw it, he just picked it up, pocketed it, and brought it back to the Rays dugout. He gets thrown out the day afterwards. A lot of people said it was stealing. A lot of people said it's an index card. It's, you know, finders, keepers, really. Like, I don't know. What do you make of all that? I mean, I had a pretty funny exchange with John Heyman about it, which yeah. <laughs> which was great. Um, here's my thing on it. it I, I can understand the, if you want to talk about Bush League, blah, 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 gentleman's game, whatever you want to talk about, maybe, maybe it would be the right move to return it. Personally, I don't think Kiermaier owes them that. Strap it on a little tighter. If it falls off, that's your problem. I mean, it, to, to me, that's really what it boils down to. And Kiermaier grabbed it. I don't really buy that they didn't use it. And Kiermaier also was saying, uh, it, I didn't even realize what I was grabbing. I thought it was one of ours. Like, no, you didn't. But who, who cares, right? It, it's not like you're doing anything outside of the realm of what is reasonable. You're not ridiculously cheating. It was something that was negligence on the other end. And you took advantage of that. I, I don't really see what the big deal was. And personally, like to consider it personal property, like, come on, it, it's, it's not personal. It, like you could really define it as that. I mean, John Heyman likened it to a family portrait. Yeah. What, what if, what if Kiermaier dropped a family portrait, you know, then what, would, would it still be fair game or whatever? And that's why I replied and said, I dropped my family portrait rounding third base in high school. And my mom never talked to me again. And then he replied to that one. So John was a good sport about it, but like, that's how ridiculous it was. Yeah, no, it, it was ridiculous. And I will take you one step farther you know, you say you don't care that Kiermaier picked it up and, and it's nobody's intellectual property because it's on an index card. I will say that I think the whole index card thing is very stupid. Uh, I, you don't I, like checking the hat between no, pitches? No, I hate it. So if you take an index card from somebody, like, good, they yeah. should memorize that. Like exactly. Like people were doing as recently as two years ago, right? The index cards are a new thing in baseball. I understand the game has become a lot more complicated, but you don't need an index card. Just go no. play baseball. And you should know how to attack each, each hitter. And that's something that you should know already. I, I understand you go back to the dugout between innings. Maybe you, you refresh some stuff. You talk to somebody. Maybe you call a mound visit and say, wait, what was our plan for this guy? That's why those things happen. Uh, I, I just don't think it's that big of a deal. Also, Kirk's going to go print another one out. It's not like he's the one that wrote it up on his Microsoft Word, exported it as a PDF, laminated it, and put it in himself. I promise you he didn't do that. It was a random person that works on the team. So it's probably an intern making eight bucks an hour in Toronto. Yes. Yes. And and I wonder how he feels about it or she feels about it. Maybe we should ask them. But uh, that's where I stand on it is it's not a big deal. It's part of just the fun of it, I guess. And I would be more likely to return, let's say it was a $100 bill. I would give that back because he's losing something. With, with that card, Kirk just re- replaces it. The, the real issue there is that I now attained information that will help me due to your m- mistake. 
that's yeah. your problem. You know, yeah. why do we cover our mouths when we talk? Is it, is it fair game if I read your lips when you don't cover your mouth? Like to me, that's the same thing. It's almost a parallel. It's the same thing. So like it, that's bad on you if you don't take all necessary precautions. And if you're going to drop the index card, pick it up. Pardon my take, which is a very funny podcast. We can cross promote all that stuff. I mean, they're <laughs> kicking our ass. Of course they are because they're oh, yeah. the We're best, not catching them. If they had a good conversation about what certain monetary amount you return if it falls out. And they said the $100 bill uh, because of John Heyman. And it, two out of three of them said, I would absolutely go and try and find the owner of the $100 bill. Or yeah, no, no, one doubt. of them did. And then the other two were like, no, screw it. Like, that's mine. If somebody dropped it, it's mine. I think I'm of the latter thinking. If I find a $100 bill laying at home plate, I'm fucking taking that thing, man. That's a hundred dollars. You're taking a hundred bucks. If even I, though you have, you know, it's very likely Alejandro Kirk's hundred dollars. Okay. Well, if Alejandro Kirk, if it's very likely that it's his, I'll give it back to him. But here's the thing. They were talking about finding a hundred dollar bill on the streets of New York city. And there oh, I'm taking that. Out. I'm taking that. What, what am I going to ask people around? Hey, is this your hundred dollar bill? First person asked right. to say yes. Okay. Uh, Let's and to be frank, the- by the way, I lost my wallet on the streets of New York and Ooh. nobody, nobody asked if my, and I had my number in there and everything. If they wanted to, to, to return it to me, they could have. They didn't. Yeah. I'm not surprised. Like it's what I expected. No, I, it, I tried to buy some Visa gift cards. It got flagged. I canceled all my cards. It's humanity. People assume that humanity is good, that faith in humanity is secure, but it's not. Humanity sucks. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, and I just, I don't know. Let me adjust the question and then we'll move on. If you find a $100 bill, you know whose it is and they are X amount of feet ahead of you on the sidewalk, how far are you running to go catch up to them? Uh, decently, honestly. I, I'm going, I'm, I'm pursuing the guy for like, a, or, or the guy or girl for a block. A block? Uh, yeah, I'll give it a block chase. And if they're just really going fast and I can't catch them, and, and then I'll be like, all right. Yeah, so we'll say that's 80 yards, 75 yeah. yards. We'll say yeah. 75 yards. I'm thinking, uh, Wow, I feel like an asshole, but I'm saying like 50 yards. You're, no, you'd be like, hey, hey, and no, I didn't hear tail off. Right. Do the classic, very soft yell to the yeah. distance. Like, I'm yelling really loud, but I'm yep. also not. Boom. It's a shame they couldn't hear. That's their problem. Mental right. gymnastics, you have 100 more dollars. Right. You were screaming from the heavens that Trevor Rogers should be the NL Rookie of the Year. I just disagree with you. Let's make the case for Rogers and then I'll refute with India. Oh, so, so this is how you wanted to do it. We we didn't, we didn't, you want to do it. We didn't coin flip that. So that this is the problem. My dolphins just lost. Right. And they lost, it ended up, they lost because they lost, but went into overtime and you have the classic coin flip. I'm glad they made the rule now where a touchdown is what is needed to end the game. Cause it used to be just a field goal ends the game. And that's the craziest thing ever. But at the end of the day, the game can is really won with the coin toss and you get a chance to match a field goal. But if the person goes out first with the touchdown, like, boom, it's over. I I just think I didn't have a chance to elect if I wanted to kick or receive here, but you know what? It's fine because you know what? My, my argument, my, my candidate is so much stronger that, you know, I, I can just talk about Trevor Rogers, but when you look at the the scheme of things in terms of where, like, forget rookies, let's not even pay attention to where Trevor Rogers stacks up against rookies. How about where he just stacks up against pitchers in the entire game? He'd be top five in ERA. I think he's slightly underqualified because of the time he missed, he's going to make two more starts and finish right around 140 innings, at least maybe a little bit more than that. 
he's up there in ERA top five. His FIP is at 2.61. He's striking out nearly 11 batters per nine innings. The whip at 1.1. Like we're talking about a rookie that is pitching at what is a top 10 pitcher level right now. And he's only been better and better. I just don't know how you don't give it to this guy. I, I know India has been great. He's been fantastic, but he's fallen off a cliff a little bit over the last 30 games, sitting in the low 200s. The Reds have faded uh, entirely. And I just think a little of that helium around him has, has dissipated. We're talking about a second baseman in a hitter's park who is leading off, which is important, uh, for one of the best offenses in baseball, which is great. Uh, yeah. But, you know, he's in a very comfortable situation there, I think. And Trevor Rogers has been the anchor of, of a really bad team rotation-wise. Him and Sandy have been one of the best one-two punches, I think, in, in baseball this year. And I just think there's value to that. I also have one more stat that I'm going to throw out there for you. Since yeah. 1950, and I know you saw this one already, since 1950, there have been three pitchers who have had an ERA and FIP under 2.8 and averaged more than 10 strikeouts per nine. Doc Gooden, who had one of the best freaking rookie seasons we've ever seen. Right. Francisco Liriano, who dealt, he dealt that first he, year. He and Johan and then Trevor Rogers. Dude, he and Johan Santana as a tandem in Minnesota, those were dynamite. You could make the argument that those were the two best left-handed pitchers in baseball at that time, and they were on and the same team. Yep, and that's some good company. That's some that, good company. That is some good company. Here's what I will say about that. You say that there should be some stock taken in him being really good and carrying a really bad team. The rookie of the year committee, is it the writers? It is the writers. Yeah, it's the same, same. Yeah, it's the writers. Um, <laughs> they don't hand out sympathy points. Oh, I agree. No, I agree. It's not, it's not as much for Rogers. It's more so India was in a favorable situation. Yeah. And that's why, that's why we bet on him at the beginning of the year, right? That's why we highlighted <laughs> yeah. those odds because he was in such an incredibly favorable situation and he made the most I out agree. of his He's situation. Fantastic. There are a couple of things that I want to point to that are beyond that favorable situation because we can talk about the doubles. We can talk about the you know double-digit home runs. We can talk about the double-digit stolen bases, but the guy is leading all rookies in walks drawn He's leading all rookies in OPS, but he's also going to play north of 150 games. So those are things that That's I important. really take into account, right? He's going to play north of 150 games, and he's going to be the leadoff man for a team that was in contention until Monday, September 27th, right? Their wildcard elimination number is one. They're not going to make it. St. Louis is standing on their head, obviously, and we've already talked about that. But Cincinnati was a wildcard possible team India at points was one of their shining stars and that's really hard to do with Winker Castellanos and Vado as the three-headed monster India was as good in terms of getting on base and at points hitting for average as any of those guys it was fleeting but it was there and he is just a steady presence 150 games Trevor Rogers missed north of a month here in August so when India was playing as well as he played all year. Rogers was MIA. That's that. Yeah, I think that's fair, no doubt. Um, but at the end of the day, like, is 26 starts not substantial? Is that not substantial enough? Like 26 starts for a rookie starter? Uh, most of these guys would be capped off innings-wise at that point anyways. I, I just think that he's probably would have gotten shut down regardless 
He's going to yeah. make these last start one more start, maybe squeezes in another. Uh, and if he has two good starts there, I mean, how, how do we not give the rookie of the year uh, to a pitcher that would be in the top five in ERA top five in FIP uh, in the national league and top seven or so for sure in baseball, like where does Jonathan India rank among the best hitters in baseball in the top five or top? Well, 10? I don't know if that's fair. Let's talk about middle infielders. Okay, let's talk about middle infielders then. Middle Is he infielders in the top five there in, in any category in the in national all, in major league, league base, major league baseball in major league baseball because there's more pitchers. You're comparing it to like you know two spots in middle infield pitchers. You have five rotation spots for every single team. Right. Right. Okay. Um, listen, while you continue to talk about Trevor Rogers, I'm going to go ahead and sort, and I'm going to go through the OPS leaders of middle infielders, and I'm going to tell you exactly where Jonathan India is. Okay. I'll buy you some time with just some more objective analysis here of Trevor Rogers. But the thing with him too, though, and what's really stood out to me is how he's gotten better and better every single time we see him, how dominant he's been with the swing and miss stuff. Uh, I think you can't go wrong, and I wouldn't be surprised to see it go to India. The, the big issue overall with, with the rookie of the year, in, in my opinion, and it kind of ties into the MVP conversation too, which it's so hard to compare a pitcher to a hitter. That, that's really what this boils down to, is you and I are attempting to compare a pitcher to a hitter because you and I would both agree without batting an eye that Trevor Rogers is the pitcher rookie of the year yes. and that Jonathan India is the offensive rookie yes. of the year. And yeah. you and I wouldn't even waste a breath trying to think otherwise. You so give, that's where it gets you, really difficult. It, it, the MVP is the most valuable quarterback, right? That's what yes. it is in the NFL. The Heisman mm-hmm. Trophy, it's not going to go to a defensive guy for a really long time. Unless you're Charles Woodson, it's just not going to go to a defensive guy. I've got my answer for you here. Jonathan India is eighth among middle infielders in Major League Baseball. Pretty good. In OPS. So Jonathan India, as I pull it up, I'm going to run you through the guys above him in OPS. India has an 832 OPS. Jose Altuve is seventh at 837. As I scroll, I see Carlos Correa in sixth. I see Xander Bogarts five, Marcus Semien four, which makes a lot of sense. I love yeah, Marcus Semien. pretty good. Trey Turner three, Brandon Crawford two, Fernando Tatis Jr. one. Yeah, I mean. That's that, Jonathan India in the conversation. That's strong. That's strong. Yep. Uh, Hey, we just hit the five-year anniversary of Jose Fernandez passing away. Yeah. I know that hit you like a freight train. Uh, It hit me like a freight train. We were both freshmen in college at that point. We we saw each other that morning. I saw, yeah. We we had an outdoor concert, right? It was like a, it was supposed to be Fetty Wap performing and he didn't show up. He didn't show up. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, it felt so weird going to anything i felt yeah. like just sitting at home but i was like what am i gonna do just sit and watch jose highlights all night right. so you know i went you were you were rocking your jose fernandez jersey i remember that and yep. the hideous orange um those old jerseys orange. man i really didn't like them I love uh, it. but yeah i mean uh, the the one thing I'll, and and we, there's been I, I always see this conversation come up and of course we could dive into the mistake that Jose made and how it cost not only his life and two others. Of course, uh, that's something that when we talk about what Jose did on the field and what he did in terms of inspiring a lot of kids out here um, and a lot of Cuban kids uh, that wanted to pursue their dreams, because he really risked everything. Uh, And that's the horrible irony in it all is that he risked everything, overcame some of the craziest things, surviving the trip on a boat to here. 
uh, which is just like, it's almost just too much, but Jose risked everything multiple times just to give it all away on one bad decision. And, you know, that's, that's what, that's how powerful, you know, individual decisions are, but, but to go back to what he did on the field, um, you know, this was something I get to talk to, to Jeff about a lot, uh, yeah. Jeff Conine. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about him a little bit on, on Outside the Box next episode. Yeah. Jeff just said the kid like knew nothing other than just a love for baseball. And I asked him, I was like, be honest, how was he? Was there an ego there? Because the way he carried himself on the field, like, would you have been shocked if you heard, oh, like, yeah, he was a big me guy in the clubhouse. He goes, honestly, he, he was not that way at all. And one of the most respectful players, he said that Jose used to wear his hat, you know, goofy or whatever. And Jeff's pretty old school. Jeff went up to him after the game. He's like, stop wearing your hat like that, man. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Conine. Uh, I won't do that again. Whatever. Just most players would be like, take a hike, dude. Uh, yeah. Whatever. But, you know, it, it, it's just little things like that. But when it comes to what he did on the mound, everyone makes jokes about Marlon's attendance and they're very warranted. 20% boost in attendance every single time that that man stepped on the mound. Uh, that That's a big deal. And uh, it, there was just an electric atmosphere every time he pitched like Jose day. I know it's a new thing to say blank day for any pitcher, but Jose day was, was a thing I think before we really streamlined that. And yeah. it was, it was a blast. It was special. It was, it was different. Uh, and I don't really know if there'll ever be on the field, more of an icon uh, in the, you know, since Dan Marino and Dwayne Wade uh, that have been, true embodiments of South Florida. You know, that's the thing is like yeah. Udonis Haslam embodies Miami. He's rough and tough. He grew up down here. He, he dealt with the tough situations in a tough area and went to right. Carroll city high school. Like that was Jose in the Hispanic aspect of it, of I came here, I made a life for myself and I, I want to inspire other people. And um, it's fit with my family members that are Cuban. I can attest to you know what that meant to him. Yeah. Um, you know, before I dive into what he statistically did, uh, you and I are fans of um, when we were growing up fans of two of the most unsuccessful franchises in major league baseball, right? When we were in uh, our formative years of baseball fandom, you know, Oh five, I was seven years old. So I didn't really comprehend the white Sox world series win. I was really happy, but I didn't, I wasn't fully invested in that team in the regular season. Oh, same but, thing for me, you know, three. Exactly. Like you were four years old. You were really happy, but you couldn't comprehend that. But as we are teenagers, teenagers, and we start to decide that we want to give our life and give our career to the sport of baseball, you were watching a Marlins team that was very unsuccessful. And I was watching a White Sox team that was very unsuccessful. And you talk about that 20% bump in attendance on Jose Day. Same damn thing with Sale Day. And that's why Chris Sale is my favorite human ever, because he, once every fifth day in the summertime in Chicago, gave a White Sox fan something to turn the TV for on, like, or TV on for it. Like, that is what those guys do, because they were can't miss. And Jose I Fernandez, I just want to run through this real quick. Jose passed away when he was 24 years old. His 162-game average would be 211 innings of work, a 258 ERA, 264 strikeouts, 63 free passes. His career clip was 11.2 strikeouts per nine, a whip of 105, and he had a career 258 ERA. 
and he was coming back from Tommy John. So he, he was peaking at that point too. Like he was getting better. What wasn't he close to 13 Ks per nine in that in that last year? 12 and a half Ks per nine. He was a yeah. leading major league baseball. Here's Come on. the thing. Here's the thing. He did that from 20 to 24. You take his average from 20 year old kid to just post Tommy John to that. His average year from age 20 to 24 is what Walker Bueller is putting out right now. Yep. You could argue that it's better than what Brandon Woodruff is putting out right now, better than what Zach Wheeler is putting out right now. That is Jose Fernandez. I mean, we talk about it all the time. This guy was going to be Pedro Martinez. Yep. Maybe better. Maybe, Maybe better. better than Randy Johnson. The ceiling didn't exist for Jose Fernandez. And he was so fun to watch. And, you know, I, I hate to just dig on the Marlins right now, but you're right. Like, it was a very bad team but I would turn on a Jose Fernandez outing whenever I could. And I was in suburban Chicago. Yeah. And that was the other thing that was so amazing to me is I'm so used to the players that I rooted for even 2008, 2009, you know, I'm loving this team as, as a teenager, or barely a teenager of Dan Agua and Hanley Ramirez. And those are all names that people be, came to know a lot more as those guys continue to mash, but no, eight Oh nine, no one cared about them. I was just used to the players that I thought were good, not transcending South Florida. And uh, to see that with Jose, it was really cool. When I had friends texting me that didn't even like baseball, yo, let's go to the Marlins game and watch Jose pitch. And I'm like, yeah. this, this is amazing. <laughs> My friends that don't like baseball want to go to a game with me, like, sweet. You know, so that's when I realized w- what he did. And then I think to really encapsulate it and wrap it up with just what really shows what he meant down here, he took the mound every day or every fifth day in – a town and a little area. Yes, it's Miami, but the neighborhood is called Little Havana. Little Havana is where Jose Fernandez, who escaped Cuba uh, with his family, saved his mother's life and made a life for himself here, said he was living, you know, what he always envisioned is the American dream. And, uh, you know, that's what he represented. And that's what it's really tough to the way it all came, you know, came down. Uh, and the way everything fell apart and, and he lost his life because it was just so much triumph, so much to overcome. And, and I think that's where, for me, it's really hard uh, to sit with that side of things. It's one thing to, to process the loss um, and, and to think about what could have been. Uh, but when it's something that's avoidable, uh, when it's something that's, you know, a bad decision, it's, I still, I still wrestle with myself as if they're, they're like, what if this didn't happen? You know, yeah. and there's the little things he was actually scheduled to pitch the next day. Uh, and once they scratched him, that's where he was like, oh, you know what, let me go out tonight. And so it's just like, it's those little things, man. And, and those are the things that make it hard to, to totally process. I can't imagine what it's like on his family and from the baseball side of it, which of course comes second, but from the baseball side of it, like you said, we're talking about one of the greatest ever because the sample size of numbers we have are from a kid that couldn't legally drink uh, and a kid that was, you know, barely old enough to rent a car, uh, yeah. then recovering from a major surgery. Yeah. And that was his first full year back from major surgery. So the sample size we had were clear points at where he was not 100% or to the best of his ability yet. And he was already one of the best in baseball. What was this guy going to be? Yeah. And that's what really hits me hard is because he went from one of the best players ever to what will probably be a really tough trivia question for my son. And that's really, really tough to sit with. It sucks. It's a, it's a very hard pill to swallow. Um, I was going to end with the Dolphins loss and Justin Fields not getting the keys to the Corvette from Matt Nagy, but 
I want to end with this instead because I just watched the D Gordon home run in full like 10 more times today. So as somebody that was just so very clearly invested, I want you to just wrap up the pod talking about the D Gordon Homer. Yeah, that dude. So to, to boil it back down to basically what that day for me too, I got a text from my dad with the headline from the sun Sentinel. And that was in 20, what was it? 2016, right? Um, 16. Yeah. September so it was when there was like a bunch of fake news headlines and that became a very common thing, but there was a lot of clickbait, fake articles. Like it was, that's where it really started until real news became fake yeah. news. That's what we called it. But I was like, Oh, my dad totally got clickbaited by some fake, by, okay. fake headlines. So I felt the same way about Kobe when it first happened because oh, yeah. he lulled into this hypnosis of everything we see is fake until somebody actually reputable puts it out. So I waited for half an hour to see if it was actually true to so, be corroborated by something else or someone exactly. else or whatever, maybe. So I was like, I woke up to the text from my dad and it just said, sad, a very sad day. And I was like, what, how is that possible? And, um, you know, for me that day, it was, it, it didn't really hit me. You know, it's one of those, one of those players that you see, you know, you see them on TV so often, you see them all the time that it's, it's hard to imagine them just disappearing or whatever. And the craziest thing about that is, you know, my dad broke that to me. And then, you know, I unfortunately end up losing my father suddenly out of nowhere, several months later. Yeah. And the crazy thing about both of those situations is when it's super unexpected, you have this the human mind really struggles to be able to comprehend here one day disappeared the next. Yeah. And what, what I see from that game is it was a Marlins team that was right now, right? Where are the Marlins at right now? About a similar spot. They were a little bit better, had a lot more talent, but the season was over. Nothing really mattered. They were, they were going through the motions, mailing it in. And there was not that much going on game to game. That was the expectation going into the next day. What ends up happening is you see a game where whatever happened on the field didn't matter. And that was something I'd never really seen before because I thought nothing that happened on the field mattered before that mm -hmm. because both the teams were out of the race and Bartolo Colon was starting. When I really realized that it always matters until something like that happens, that's where I realized it because D Gordon goes up, hits from the right side, you know, to give a tribute to Jose with his stance because Jose had just that patented stance who raked, by the way, yeah. Jose raked, he raked. Uh, you know, goes around to the left side and, and hits that Homer to me, you know, you see that, that mistake that Jose made, but you see the reaction of his teammates, the emotional distress, um, how much sadness from Barry bonds to, you know, the managers, to the players, to the opposing players, to the opposing broadcasters. Yeah. People liked this kid. He rubbed people the right way. He had, he had an aura to him. There was a lot of good in Jose Fernandez. And I think that that can be seen through the reaction uh, of his teammates, through the devastation of his teammates, through the reaction of fans. It, there was just so much there. Uh, and that moment to me, uh, D Gordon's never hit a ball that far in his life. Uh, he never, I don't think he ever hit anything close to that. He said that himself. Uh, but what always gets me is when he scores and you just see him walking back towards uh, the dugout and he just can't even contain his emotion. Yeah. Um, and you see a very stoic guy, which to put it nicely, Barry Bonds, who I've never seen show any affection in my life, grab onto D and not let go of him. And it's things like that. It's the little things that really hit home. And uh, that home run will never erase, you know, the loss and the pain. 
but there is a positive moment out of it all that we can always go back to and feel something. Um, and, and I think that's really special. And, and that, that moment I'll, I'll never forget. No doubt about it. And Ryan Finkelstein, by the way, just wrote uh, his experience. He was at the game uh, and just published an article on our site, which is, is I, I implore everybody to read that because his firsthand account, he, he just being able to eloquently describe it as a Mets fan, by the way, uh, yeah. I, I think was really powerful. And, and I really enjoyed reading that. Yeah. Shit. All right. Uh, every link you need is, is in the uh, episode description. So you can go down there and click on that. Uh, for Aram, I'm Jack. Talk to you guys tomorrow. Tomorrow.